0: Welcome into another episode of Running for the Roses. We can't use the word season, but the, the season of not playing games is upon us. Conference Championship Week is behind us. Transfer Portal Madness, Coaching Madness, Roster Management, Recruiting, all of that stuff for the next couple of weeks, and we are here to break it all down. Lucas and I were just talking off off the pod. This is one of the wildest times in in college football, man. I mean, yesterday we're, we are recording this Tuesday the sixth, and uh, Lucas yesterday was a was madness. Uh, I think you said upwards of, of five six thousand kids entered the transfer portal. It's it's just insane. We have we have coaching news and and bowl games, and oh by the way, we have a fourteen playoff and some interesting bowls to break down as well. So a lot to get to tonight, my friend. How are you?
1: I'm doing very, very well. I am uh, I was just telling you before the pod, it, it, it's been nuts and it just following college football, this to me seems like even crazier because you just have this is the first, I guess the second transfer portal winner that we've had with Nil. Um, and yeah, just the names and stuff that have come out with the coaching uh, stuff that we'll get into at Colorado and Louisville um and all the cr- kind of the craziness there i i could not stop uh refreshing my 24 7 page i could not stop refreshing my twitter page anytime i had it, it was kind of an issue where i had to like say hey i need to take at least a 30 minute break put a timer yeah. on my phone <laughs> and reward myself but uh no it's been uh it's been crazy on top of what was a crazy set of games that we had this past weekend
0: Yeah, so a little run of show for everyone tonight. We will start with the on-field action. We'll talk about the conference championship games. We'll talk about our four-team playoff, uh, what the committee got right, maybe what the committee didn't get right. Um, A couple teams didn't make it easy for the committee, right? We talked last week about how the top four was set, and all the four teams had to do was win. There would be no controversy, and there was some controversy. So (laughs) we will will break that down and then uh, talk a little bit about the the uh, the college football playoff, which begins here in in a couple of weeks, including the Michigan Wolverines coming down way uh, here to the Fiesta Bowl in Glendale, um, and then we'll, we'll get to some off the field stuff. Right, we got a lot of of, of transfer portal news and Deion Sanders making making waves at Colorado with a, a very interesting couple of days here, and then um, obviously Scott Satterfield taking the Cincinnati job and, and Louisville now open as well. So some some coaching stuff to get to as well. So a full show. Lucas let's start with what we saw last weekend. Um, you know, we, we had talked last week about how not the most exciting conference championship slate, right. Um, not a ton of meaningful games. And in the end, really only one game truly mattered. I thought in the college football playoff discussion, and that was Utah beating USC in the PAC 12 championship Mm -hmm. game on Friday night and allowing Ohio state to get in, um, TCU loses to Kansas state, um, they finished the year twelve and one. There were some people that speculated: Does Alabama get that fourth spot at ten and two? And thank goodness, the Horned Frogs remain at number three. Michigan cruises over Purdue, and Georgia cruises over LSU. Clemson also winning the ACC and punching their ticket to the Orange Bowl. Um, Lucas, let's start. I think with with kind of the back end of of the playoff, right? TCU loses. USC loses. Um, but TCU still makes the playoff. What what were your impressions? I guess first of those two football games, and then we'll get to the kind of the playoff discussion.
1: Yeah, I mean the the USC game against Utah. I mean it was crazy. We kind of predicted this. I felt like at the beginning of the year, we said <laughs> it'll probably be Utah USC, and one of them will probably knock the other. Uh, will probably yeah. one will beat them during the regular season, and then the next game they'll knock each. One of them will knock each other out. For the college football playoff, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, USC, you know, kind of opened the doors. They're up 17 to 3. Utah then goes on a 44 to 7 run the rest of the game, uh, and they were just flat out better. Um, you can say, you know, Caleb Williams was obviously a little bit hobbled uh, with that leg injury, but you know, Utah was just the most more physical team, and man, USC's defense, we knew it wasn't great, but. My goodness, when they got punched in the mouth later in that game, they really had no answer defensively for Utah. Um, Though I can see if you're a USC fan, you're kind of upset. If if the Pac-12 didn't have a title game, they just gave it to the winner. The champ was just USC winning it outright. They're in the playoff. Like there's no way that they're going to pull them. And I think that's kind of the critique of the current system we have is you have a team like Ohio State, whose last game, they got the doors blown off of them. They get to sit, not play. Meanwhile, USC kind of gets punished uh, for it. And but...
0: Lucas, and 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 just you know, real quick on that. Let's also not forget the Pac-12 changed its conference championship mm-hmm. format. Y- USC would have played, I believe, Washington yes. uh, in the old format. Which, listen, Washington won ten games. They still may have lost, but I almost think Utah was a worse matchup on paper for yeah. USC with how they play, with how physical they are. Um, Clark Phillips is a really good cornerback. Like, it's a worse matchup. So, I'm not, again, you know my thoughts on the Pac 12. I think it's been the best league in America this year. Mm -hmm. It has been awesome. Six teams. They have six of the top 18 teams in the final committee rankings. But, like, it's exactly your point of like, if USC had a, a USC, an 11 1 USC had a better resume to me than an 11 1 Ohio State. Mm -hmm. and usc sort of gets penalized for winning its division or you know finishing in a spot to play for its conference championship and that's why i think it's so great we're expanding because we don't have to have this argument anymore right if anything all the conference championship games would have meant more because kansas state and utah would have Mm -hmm. punched their ticket to the playoff right clemson would have been a top four seed by being the fourth highest rated conference champion so it's, it's, it was a really interesting debate. I'm glad TCU, which lost in overtime, uh, wasn't penalized for a 12-0 regular season and losing in overtime to a 9-win team. I thought they might have. Um, but, yes, yeah, so just for me real quick on the, on the Pac-12 game, Like, the U- USC went up 17-3. I almost turned it off. I was like, this is yeah. over. I mean, with how well USC had been playing, with how well Caleb Williams had been playing, with where that offense was going, I believe Utah outscored them like 44-7. After that, right? Like, I mean, that's absolutely insane. I mean, Dalton Kincaid had the insane, like, 50-yard, like, touchdown reception where he, like, threw down a couple, you know, USC defenders. And, you know, listen, like, at the end of the day, we've seen it with Michigan. We saw it a little bit with Kansas State. Like, the toughness, physicality, we see it with Georgia. Like, that is still prevalent in college football. That might be my Mm -hmm. takeaway from the whole weekend. Utah, physical as hell. Kansas State, tough, physical as hell. Georgia, tough physical as hell. Um, in some ways, I was excited for Utah, back to back Pac-12 champions, the team that really didn't take all the transfers and didn't have the mercenary team that Lincoln Riley built. Tough look for the Pac-12 again. Haven't gotten a playoff team since I want to say Washington with Jake Browning and Chris Peterson like six, seven years ago. Um, but when you look at, uh, you know, when you look at what Utah has been able to do with Kyle Whittingham. It's just super impressive, man. Back to back Pac-12 Championship, back to back Pac-12 Rose Bowls, or back to back Rose Bowls as the Pac-12 champion.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think right now that you could make an argument that they're at least over the last close to a decade, they've been the most consistent program uh, in the Pac-12. Uh, no, I, I'm hugely impressed, and I think it's, I think it's great for the Pac-12 too because with the loss of USC and UCLA you still have a program that's kind of carrying the flag um, for the Pac-12. But you mentioned, you know, kind of uh, it stinks that the Pac-12 doesn't have a represent in the playoff just because they – I agree with you. I think they were the best conference this year. And, you know, looking for the 12-team playoff, I think they would have had like three teams in. Yeah. Um, at, at, at least two. At least two. You would have had Utah and USC, maybe Oregon or Washington. um, maybe could have uh, seeped in there, but uh, no, it was a, it was a crazy game. I mean, the, the score was a little, it, it showed very lopsided, but I mean, this was a, a one possession game halfway through the, the fourth quarter. Um, it was just kind of Utah. I think Utah really wore USC down with their physicality as it went on. Um, but then kind of jumping to the, the big 12 game, you were kind of mentioning how we were both super happy, the committee, did not punish TCU. I mean, for me, the mental gymnastics that people were pulling to try to make an argument for Alabama was just downright exhausting. Um, people are like, "Well, they would." Hearing Saban saying, "Like, well, the odds makers would have us actually favored over TCU," and it's like, "Okay, then why the hell didn't you beat LSU or Tennessee? Then you win one of those games. You're probably you probably have a better argument to be in over Ohio State." Yeah. Um, so, and none of the and both of those wins didn't look as good. Your best win was against Texas, who oh yeah, TCU also beat by a bigger margin, um, also on the road with Quinn Ewers healthy the whole game. With, yes, exactly. Uh, and just had better wins all year. Bama just didn't really have one outside of that. I guess you can call Mississippi State a quality win too because the committee ranked them uh, to boost Bama. Big I mean, pride. if any. If anything, like I said, I would have had Tennessee over Bama just because they beat Alabama. They also crushed LSU, which was one of Bama's losses, and I don't think the South Carolina loss looks as bad considering the next week they beat a top 10 Clemson team. Uh, So I was happy they got in. That was just – that was the game of the week. Once uh, – I mean, Max Duggan, I mean, my God. Um, Happy he's going to be going to the Heisman ceremony. He was just – (laughs) Getting <laughs> the crap kind of kicked out of them, but just still kept coming. Once you thought TCU was out, they have that comeback to tie it. Um, and, yeah, kind of sucked it had to end that way. But a really close game. And and kudos to Kansas State. You mentioned, kind of like Utah in the fact they play physical. They don't shy away from who they are. Um, and they were a really good team all year as well. Um, and kudos to, to Chris Kleiman and their staff for um, – they were they were kind of a dark horse I thought coming into the year, but um, you know, kind of coming out of nowhere towards the end of the season and, and getting a Big Twelve title was was awesome to see.
0: Yeah, you know, and I was thinking of you because preseason you had TCU in the Big Twelve championship game. Yes, almost. Uh, I don't know if you had a TCU Big Twelve title game or like a you know title ticket, but you you were very early on the Horn Frogs, and uh, it um, culminated in them coming up a few plays short. So uh, Georgia rolls LSU, Not, you know, LSU made it look a little closer at the end. Georgia puts up 50 on the LSU defense um, and Michigan rolls Purdue as well. That game close at halftime. Michigan pulls away in the second half. So you're, you're four teams right now. Um, it will be Georgia and Ohio State at the Peach Bowl and it will be Michigan and TCU in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, Lucas will, I think, break down these matchups. Uh, maybe next week, maybe the week after, as I think they're right yeah. around, um, you know, New Year's Eve. But you know, r- real quick, I, I I think it's a tale of two matchups, right? I think you have the Blue Bloods in Georgia and Ohio State. Jackson Smith and Jigma already saying he's not going to play in the Peach Bowl, continuing to rehab, get ready for the NFL draft next year. But two teams that were were preseason favorites to win the com- uh-huh. the national championship, two very prominent quarterbacks, Dets and Bennett, CJ Stroud, uh, and then Michigan TCU, kind of the upstart. You know, it's it's awesome to me that one of these two teams is going to play for a national championship. Michigan came up, uh, they won the Big Ten last year, got beaten pretty pretty bad by Georgia in the Orange <laughs> Bowl. Uh, and then and then TCU with kind of uh, a real miracle season with how many close games they had and getting into the playoff. What what are your kind of early takes on the two semifinal games?
1: Yeah, I think they're both uh, kind of matched teams. This might be one of the, maybe the first year ever where we actually both semifinals are somewhat competitive um yes. you know georgia's been the presumptive number one team basically all year um you know i'm interested to see how they match up with ohio state's offense um which you know we saw georgia shut down uh, hendon hooker in that tennessee and uh, very powerful offense um see how they can match up with, I mean, uh, losing Jackson, Smith, and Jigba is a big loss for them. However, they've played most of the year without him. Marvin Harrison Jr. has kind of elevated his game to be that that number one wide receiver. But I'll see how, how Ohio State responds. I mean, this was a team the last time we saw him got punched in the mouth by their main rival, thought their season was over, and within about a week, all of a sudden they're playing for a national title again, and their main goal is still ahead of them. And you know how motivated they're going to be that they could potentially play Michigan again in the national title. If you want to go conspiracy theorists, I'm sure ESPN is like chomping at the bit for that to potentially happen (laughs) because it might be the most watched national title game ever. Um, And then uh, as you mentioned too, with Michigan TCU, the fact that we know we're going to get a team that has yet to play uh, for a national title in this current format um, is at least guaranteed to be in that game. Um, even though it drives me nuts. Like even though TCU, they lost, I feel like people respect TCO TCU more after they lost than before they had, you know, they were 12 and zero. um, it arguably went through a gauntlet in the, in the big 12. Um, but I love how everybody's just, I think assuming Michigan's going to win this game. Um, but I'm not there. I think this is going to be a really good game too. I think, um, you know, Max Duggan, I think whatever you have, at least in my opinion, the better quarterback in a matchup, it gives you just a huge edge. JJ McCarthy's been great. Um, but I am interested to see how Michigan tries to slow down you know, this passing attack for TCU. And also to see how TCU can handle, um, you know, Michigan might have the best offensive line in, in college football this year. They had three first team, all Big Ten offensive linemen. We obviously know even without Blake Quorum, Donovan Edwards looks just as good, if not maybe better. Is um, maybe one of the most explosive, uh, you know, uh, players in the game. And we saw, you know, a TCU struggle handling Deuce Vaughn uh, in that championship game uh, in Dallas. So I think both are going to be really, really fun matchups. I can't wait for just the complete over analysis because for some reason we decide to wait four weeks for these games to happen. <laughs> But uh, but no, we'll, I'm sure we'll we'll cover these games a lot more in detail uh, in the next few weeks.
0: Yeah, um, I think with Georgia, it, it just like real quick for me. I I I don't know if I if I love Ohio State's matchup against Georgia with with how I saw the Michigan game go. Hard for me to see Ohio State without Jackson Smith and Jigma. I know they have a ton of playmakers, and I know they were missing some key guys, right, against Michigan. I don't think Travion Henderson played in that game, right? Obviously, Jackson Smith and Jigma didn't. Um, it will be interesting to see if, if Ohio State, because they will have the quarterback advantage, I think. I think C.J. Stroud is, is mm-hmm. better than Stetson. I don't think it's – I mean, I think Stetson is a hell of a college quarterback. But C.J. Stroud, you're talking about maybe the number one pick in the draft um and i and i think for michigan tcu kind of same thing right tc i like that TCU's won in a multitude of ways i, I they have won some low scoring physical run the ball kind of games but they can also score a lot of points and they they play fast they play up tempo garrett riley just won the Broyles award for mm-hmm. for the top offensive assistant or top assistant in in, in all college football and and sunny dykes has done a tremendous job there and it's 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 absolutely wild. To like, Lucas, if I were to tell you that a team from Texas, if if we go back to August and I tell you, oh yeah, a team from Texas is going to be in the playoff, how many teams would you have to guess before TCU? Four? Four. Texas? A&M? Baylor?
1: Would you say UTSA before them?
0: <laughs> hey, back-to-back conference USA champs, baby. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's wild to me that we have all of this baloo at A&M in Texas every year for recruiting and – Signing classes and NIL, and then here comes TCU just going twelve and zero, beating everyone on their schedule, and making the college football playoff. Uh, first team, uh, first team from Texas to make the college football playoff. I'm, I'm just saying this out loud. Texas hasn't,
1: A&M Texas hasn't, A&M has it and A and M hasn't. A and M hasn't. TCU and Baylor were close the first TCU year. TCU and
0: Baylor were close the first year. I don't know if Baylor has. I don't. I don't think Baylor
1: has. I so don't think
0: Baylor has. Cause wild, it's been... and it's and it's not Gary Patterson. It's not. It's not a Gary no. Patterson team is which is even more crazy um so yeah um some interesting um big time bowl games as well bowls will start here in the next couple of weeks uh, I believe you have usc tulane in the cotton bowl you have alabama kansas state and the sugar bowl rose bowl is penn state and um utah and then the orange bowl clemson and uh, tennessee real quick um matchup you're most looking forward to in the new Year six.
1: Ooh, ah, that's a good question. I always kind of sometimes find it funny. This It's not the case this year, but I feel like most years I'm more interested in some of the other bowl games than the actual yeah. playoff games because yeah. you usually know who's going to win. Um, I mean, seeing Tulane in a New Year's Six is just awesome. This is their first major bowl game since like war, before World War II. I don't think they've played on a New Year's Day game since 1940. Um and just the job Willie Fritz has done there has been awesome. See, seeing that offense versus USC's offense, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but also I think you're going to have another, we saw a classic last year in the Rose Bowl between Ohio State and uh, Utah. I think you could have the same, uh, same thing this year between Penn State and Utah. I think Penn State's kind of flown under the radar because obviously they lost their two biggest games of the year, but they basically blew out everybody else that they had played Um, so I think that's really intriguing. I will say one, and this might be a good segue into, uh, maybe our next discussion, but holy hell, the Fenway bowl, not a game I was expecting to really have any intrigue, but, uh, Louisville and Cincinnati and, uh, what might be, uh,
0: it, um, it is a good segue. Uh, real quick. I will say mine is probably the Rose bowl. I just love watching the Rose bowl every year. Yeah. There's something about the day that it takes place. There's something about it's, it's the sunsets and the blimp shots into the fourth quarter. Last year we got a classic between Utah and Ohio State. This year Penn State uh, against uh, a 10-win Utah team I think will be, will be awesome uh, as well. But, yes, Lucas, you had, you had a fabulous segue. Uh, Scott Satterfield, uh, Mr. Hot Seat, has finally found a new home. He accepts the job at Cincinnati, really out of left field. I mean, we had talked about—I don't know if we talked about candidates for Cincinnati. I had listened to some shows and read some stuff about Cincinnati and, and potential names there. You know, Dion was one of them, and Tom Herman was one of them, and you know, Jim Leonard or you know, wait, whatever. Um, and Scott Satterfield, and and he leaves Louisville. Scott Satterfield and Louisville were in a very kind of tumultuous situation. Ever since after the COVID year, he kind of interviewed for South Carolina. Not kind of, he did interview for South Carolina. It was very public about his interest there. Since then, it's been very rocky for him at Louisville. Um, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting fit for both sides. I think for okay. Cincinnati, you sell to your fan base as we signed a power sitting power five coach to be our our head coach. We're going to invest in in his staff. We're going to invest in him. We're going to pay him a lot of money. We're still going to take football seriously for Scott Satterfield. You restart your clock. I think that's the biggest thing for him, right? You get off the hot seat, you get to a new environment, you get to a new situation, Uh, you get off, you get off the hot seat. Um, And for Louisville, this potentially opens them up to make a big run at Jeff Brom, which I believe they will do. And Mm -hmm. I'm guessing by the time we record our next show, Louisville will have their coach, whether it's Brom or somebody else. Um, What were your thoughts on the, uh, the Satterfield, Cincinnati, Louisville kind of stuff?
1: Kind of the same with you, uh, Scott Satterfield didn't even come to my mind when we were talking about Cincinnati. there was um, I was just reading on you know 24/7, you know Alec Golish, who ended up taking the USF job, apparently was, was a finalist, Sean Lewis, apparently was very close to, to getting that job from from Kent State. But you know yeah, I the thing with with Scott Satterfield, he didn't do an awful job at Louisville. I mean, they were basically a bold team every year. Thought this year was an improvement from from the year before, but never was super loved by that fan base. Um, I give him credit. They he took over a complete mess his first year at Louisville. Bobby Petrino, that team was in shambles. They had only won two games the previous year. And he kind of turned the culture very, very quick. They went eight and five. Um, however, you mentioned, you know, the flirtation with with South Carolina. Um still has not sat well with that fan base he was also zero three against kentucky their hated rival um during his tenure there um so i don't blame him for jumping ship i mean it's the jobs are so damn similar i mean geography wise cincinnati is about an hour and a half east of louisville um so he could probably commute to his new job until he finds a new place in cincinnati for a little bit um But I mean, I saw he got like $7 million for his assistant pool there. Um, So it obviously shows since he is is still very committed. So I have no idea how it's going to work. Like I said, he was decent, not great. Had a really good run at App State prior to this. Um, But we'll see how it works out. Um, And if I'm Purdue, I am trying to load that new Big Ten Brinks truck um, and trying to throw as much money at Jeff Brom. As possible. He turned down Louisville the last time it was open um, just because he felt he didn't have enough time at Purdue to leave them. Um, well, I think the lining works up. He's Purdue is in much better shape than before he took it over. They're coming off one of their best seasons. They had playing the Big Ten title game this past weekend. Um, so I don't see why he would turn it down unless Purdue, like I said, they can show up with that that new Big Ten money, which we've seen Nebraska and Wisconsin's brought out. And uh, just kind of give him a deal he can't refuse. But I, I'm like you said, I, I'm assuming yeah. we'll find out either probably tomorrow or the next day whether or not he takes
0: it. Yeah, it's and and I it, and I think with Jeff braum it's going to be like, what are what are your priorities, right? Is your yeah. priorities to make the most money you can and to maybe be in a better situation long term? Which I think we can all agree the Big Ten is in a better position than the ACC is in terms of money and staff support and facilities and and NIL potentially, like whatever it is. Although Louisville's NIL apparently is also pretty good, but you know, Louisville, obviously it's home for Jeff Brom, mm-hmm. a ton of family connections there, obviously a ton of history with that program. And, you know, with the Louisville, with, um, with the ACC abolishing divisions and going to kind of a pod system with three permanent opponents and, and five rotating games every other year, right? You play five teams, one year, five teams, the next, maybe an easier path to the playoff, right? I mean, look at the playoff in the big 10, you've got, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, USC, Wisconsin, Nebraska. You can probably name eight or nine programs before you get to Purdue in terms of relevancy and how easy it is to get there. And Louisville, listen, I mean, depending on how the ACC holds up, obviously you have Clemson, North Carolina, Florida State, NC State, you know, maybe schools like Virginia and Virginia Tech get back here. So it's not easy. To me, this feels like he's going to take this job. I I Mm -hmm. think the stars line up, like you said. Purdue just had maybe its best season it's going to have in a while. I mean, if you were to put the over under at 0.5 Purdue appearances in the big 10 championship game for the next six years, like, are you taking the over? It's I I, I guess next year you still have the big 10 West intact. So maybe, I don't know if Aiden O'Connell has any eligibility left. Maybe (laughs) Purdue enters next year as the, as the big 10 West favorite with some upheaval at Wisconsin and Nebraska and and Iowa's still trying to score from the 25 to this day. But, <laughs> you know, to me, this feels like um, he takes the Louisville job and Purdue needs to start looking for a uh, a new head coach, whoever that might be. Maybe it's yeah, Sean Lewis. But- oh, it's not, because Sean Lewis is going to Colorado with every uh, other coach in the country.
1: Should we move on to Colorado? The probably good. should. I, the say, right? thoughts, you know,
0: <laughs> I know you have some thoughts. Um, so Deion Sanders named the head coach of Colorado officially. Um, Something that I just didn't see as a possibility. I, I thought I thought Dion would leave Jackson State eventually. I thought he would leave certainly if, if Auburn came calling um, or another big SEC job like, let's say, Ole Miss came open, for example, and maybe they wanted him. I did not think he would go to what is one of the worst situations in college football in um, a team that has had, I believe, two winning seasons since they came to the Pac-12 back in 2011 and a school that has been kind of a dormant program for the last half decade, right? Mac, Mike McIntyre took the team to a PAC 12 championship game. I, I want to say maybe 2015 or 2013 yeah, around there. Um, but since then it's been awful. And we joked on this pod numerous times during the year about this was the worst team, not only in power five football, but one of the worst teams in, in FBS.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, they would have been a middle tier group of five team in like the American with how I think, I think like, 10 of their 11 losses by double digits, seven or six by more than 20 points. Like they just were not competitive in any of these games. So Lucas, I have a lot of thoughts on this and what Dion has done in the next couple of days or in, in, the, in the past few days, but I will let you go first. And, and uh, what did you think of the hire and, and what has uh, transpired at Colorado the last couple of days?
1: Yeah, I think it was obviously surprising when the report came out that he was down. I think it was he was down to Colorado. USF and uh, Cincinnati. It was, almost like a
0: rec- it was almost like a recruit with like yeah. the hats on the on the table. He's like, he like you felt like he was going to like live stream which school he was going to. Like he's an eighteen year old or something.
1: And I will say it was refreshing how he got asked about it in a news conference, and he's like, "Yeah, I got offers. I'm just waiting to hear him out." Like you knew at that point, okay, he's going to take one of these three jobs. I, I thought Colorado was probably going to be number three uh, if he had a top three. I thought Cincinnati, USF, uh, just because I think he would kill recruiting in in Florida. And apparently they were willing to give him, like, he he was going to be influential in the design plans for their new stadium. Um, but I think for Colorado, it's worth the risk. You mentioned, like, yeah, this could be a disaster. But, like, is that going to be any worse than what you, you are right now? Um, or there's a lot of upside. I think the fact that Dion, the persona of him carries so much weight, the fact that Colorado has come out and said that they are willing to adjust their admission standards for athletes, not just for undergrads, but also for transfers, so that they can get better players in, I think says a lot of just about his influence and how much Colorado was really trying to bend to get him to come there. Um, and on the football side, look, he did a really good job at Jackson state. That was kind of a dormant program in the SWAC and they just had their first ever 12 and O season. Um, and are and we're back-to-back SWAC champs and could, you know, they're still playing in the celebration bowl, but yeah, I mean, we'll get into kind of the stuff he went. I know some people, I, look, it's Dion, you either kind of love what he does or you hate what he does. But I think for Colorado, it's worth the risk because you're not going to get I don't think you're going to sink any lower than what you did this year. And I think there's a high upside. There's actually excitement um, and attention to that program. Um, And if he can sell it, I don't know if he's going to stay there very long if he gets it turned around. But for Colorado, I think you're fine with that. You just want to be relevant again. And I think this clearly did that.
0: Yeah, so first of all, with, from the Colorado side of it, it's it's a slam dunk, right? I mean, you I, especially from, I think, from a financial point of view, I know they're paying him a lot of money. I know his staff. I mean, the Colorado AD, I don't, I don't know if you saw, but he was asked, like, where'd you guys get the money for this? And he's like, we don't really have it yet, but we're confident we're going to get it. Like, it's like that's, that's kind of weird to say. <laughs> like... But, you know, I listen, I'm sure ticket sales are going to be great. I'm sure donors are coming back. There's excitement. We're talking to I mean, if Colorado had hired Ryan Walters, you would get some passing, you know, videos and, and parts of podcasts talking about it. But you wouldn't get the attention that you are getting from Deion Sanders. That being said, I just want to say a couple of things about what is what has happened the last few days. So obviously, I think most people have seen the video of, of his first team meeting, about a 15 minute video on on YouTube. Where he essentially tells the roster to get out. He essentially tells the roster, "I'm bringing my own guys. Um, there probably won't be a spot for you." Um, and I thought it was one of the most classless and disturbing things I've, I've really ever seen a college football coach do. Um, to sit there and have those players sign waivers that they can be filmed, and then to publicly humiliate them. The full clip of his of his locker of his team meeting speech, 2.9 million views on YouTube. That's one video. Not to mention the countless clips that have gone viral on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube, on Twitter, everywhere. To publicly hum- humiliate those players after a one and eleven season, I thought it was despicable. I thought it was classless. I thought it was distasteful. And this is my thing. I, I get the people that say all coaches do this. I get the people that say you know everyone comes in like you know I'm sure you know Lincoln Riley came in and told players at USC that they weren't good enough. Okay, you sit them down. In closed door meetings, and you say, "Hey, listen, I don't think you're a good fit for our program. I think it's in your best interest to transfer. Hey, we're going to bring in some guys that are probably going to be better than you. Let's try to help you out. Let's facilitate a transfer." You don't in front of the cameras where you know. Every, first of all, I think it's strange that a camera crew is following him around. Like we're still doing this. Like you're a, Dion, you're a Power Five coach making millions of dollars. You're signed a five year, a five million dollar annual salary. You're still making a YouTube reality show about yourself. Um, the other thing I want to point out is if if almost any other football coach in America had is had done what Dion has been doing, they would be ridiculed and criticized mm-hmm. like crazy, right? If Kenny Dillingham did that same speech to the ASU team in their first team meeting, people would be going, "Who who is this guy? Why are wh- what is he doing?" If Luke Fickle went to every single Wisconsin commit in their current class and said, hey, guys, I know you've been committed to our school for months and are planning to sign in two weeks. Your offers aren't committable anymore. Sorry. And that's what Dion did. He dropped every single Colorado recruit. Every single Colorado recruit that had been committed to the previous staff was dropped. Their scholarship not committable anymore. And they're all decommitting. Not because they don't want to play for Dion. Could you imagine being a kid and, like, you've been committed to a 1-11 Colorado team and – You find out that Deion Sanders is going to be your coach. You're like, oh, my God, that's awesome. And then you get a text from some, like, low-level staffer that says, hey, your your scholarship isn't good anymore. Go find somewhere else.
1: You got two weeks to find another school. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. By the way, almost everyone's class is full. You have two weeks to sign. It's despicable, man. And for some reason, like, he is just absolved of all criticism for this. I mean, this is awful behavior, man. Like, you – and you talk about – you know, we're, you know, we're going to lead with integrity. I want guys that have good work ethic. Oh, by the way, my quarterback, my, my son's going to be the quarterback. We're not even going to, you know, like you just name your son the starting quarterback in your press conference. You don't look at any other transfer portal quarterbacks. Devin Leary, DJ, Graham Mertz, like anyone that might be a fit that has had any sort of track record with Power Five. It's just like, don't give me this bullshit of like, we're going to lead young men and be integrity, dude. Dion's for Dion. Like Dan doesn't, I don't buy the whole he cares about these kids and he's making young, turning boys into men. Like go read an article about prime Academy that shut down and left dozens and hundreds of kids in limbo, like five, six years ago. Like get out of here, man. But I, I I just had to get that off my chest. I I I thought it was despicable. I'm sure he'll get some transfers and they may win some games this year. I don't know if you've seen their schedule for next year. It's brutal. Mm -hmm. Um, I am ready to go on record and say this will be a a, a failure. This is not going to work. I think this will be a lot like the Herm Edwards tenure. They they may win some games early, and then you'll see some things trickle out about how the program was run, whether it's NCAA investigations, whether it's former coaches coming out and being like, Yeah, we, we were tampering with kids, we were we were offering them money. And I, I just I don't see Dion being able to run a program at the power five level. I think it's an entirely different ball game than it is at the SWAC level. Right. I think the idea that he's just gonna bring in ten guys from Jackson State and compete in the Pac 12 is kind of ridiculous to me. Like it's it's ridiculous he's just gonna like I get it, right? Travis Hunter, Kevin Coleman, you know, Shadur uh Shadur Sanders had a lot of interest out of high school, but how many highly profiled quarterbacks have we seen flame out they mm-hmm. hat? We're in the portal right now. So I'm done. You can, you can speak now. That was a, uh, that was,
1: that was pretty good. Uh, I need some water. Uh, Hang on. <laughs> <gonna> go <laughs> no, I, I agree with a good amount of what you said. I look what he said, especially if you watch the full clip, like when I had the same response, when I, saw kind of the first minute clip that was going on on like twitter like on tiktok i was kind of appalled. i was like holy hell like he literally it just basically from what it's out he's just like he's like i'm bringing my i'm bringing guys with me so there's room for y'all in the transfer portal the more of you leave the more room we have here when i watched the whole thing he did kind of state like hey like I think it was more or less like he was telling like, if you're not bought in to changing and doing something different, like, you guys can go. Like, I'm not going to have any lost feelings if you leave. And to me, that's that's fine. That seems like a, a logical thing for a, a head coach to come into a program that has been awful um, for the better part of, like, two decades. Um, but I, I didn't really love the fact that he filmed it and, like, was taking pride in it. And, like you kind of mentioned, I had no idea about that they told all of Colorado's recruiting class that none of their
0: offers were committable anymore. Um, yeah. If you go and look at the 24 seven page for decommitments, there's like eight Colorado decommitments and they're not decommitting because they don't want to play for Dion. I can guarantee you uh, that.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, that, that can happen during a coaching change, but not, nah, it, it is a question. Cause like we were talking about, I think they dominated a lot of Jackson state because they were probably the most talented team. He was able to get guys, to come there that normally would not under any other circumstance. And look, he might be able to do that at Colorado, but like you mentioned too, the competition he's going, it with the talent he got at the SWAC, he was clearly the best team in the SWAC, talent-wise. Even if they get five or six of those guys to come to Colorado, you are still probably, what, a mid-tier Pac-12 team? So to me, it's all about kind of what are the expectations here. I mean, this is a one-win team. It's probably going to take, even with the transfer portal, maybe a couple of years to build really a competent roster. Well, and,
0: And, you know, my thing is you're not going to be able to kick every single Colorado player off the roster, right? You can't have 85 new players. So what's the dynamic between the Jackson State players and the transfers he brings in versus the 40 or 50 kids left from the Colorado roster? That cannot be a healthy environment. And by the way, like I don't know if you have the schedule pulled up at okay, TCU week one, Nebraska. They got to play Oregon. They got to or Oregon on the road, Utah on the road, UCLA on the road, and USC. Like, yeah, I it, is Dion Shtick gonna be Dion Shtick if they're five and seven, or if they're three and five, and some of these five star kids are like, why are we losing to Utah and and Oregon? Why are we, you know, I I. It's it's easy to be cool and fun when you're beating up on teams that have far inferior talent than you and the SWAC. but I like I can't imagine Dion going in and beating or winning on the road at Utah after Thanksgiving. Like that's just and again I could be totally wrong. I could be old takes exposed. It could be like Lincoln Riley and they go ten and two and Shadur is a Heisman candidate and and it's all great and but I just like. I think the staff he's putting together is pretty solid. Sean Lewis as the OC. And um, I thought it was funny that they announced like Tim Brewster as the as one of the assistants and it's like, oh man, great recruiter, Tim Brewster. I'm like, that's it feels like Tim Brewster's had nine jobs in ten years since he left. Minnesota. I feel like every every time a new coach is hired, like Tim Brewster like appears out of out of like a box and just shows up. Like, Willie Taggart's been a name that's been thrown around there. Mike Zimmer, the former Vikings coach, nice. has been a name that's been tossed around. For, I also would love to know where Colorado's getting all this money right. to, like, hire. And if you're, like, Carl Durrell, you're like, hey, like, those those lax transfer rules would have been nice for me the last couple of
1: years. Well, And that's the thing. Like, that's where I give Dion a lot of credit. Like, the dude just carries so much weight. He basically could have dem- – with any of those teams that wanted him, he basically was demanding everything and they're just giving it to him. I, I completely agree. Cause especially Colorado has been a place that has been notorious for not wanting to spend a lot of money all of a sudden. And now all of a sudden they're like, Oh, we have to. And I get it. You're embarrassed. What you were doing obviously is not working. So you do have to change, but yeah, I agree. <laughs> if you were even called the or, Mike McIntyre if you would have done this for Mel Tucker he's probably still there so like
0: it's it's just it's it's strange to me but I'll tell you what the first two weeks of the season for tc for Colorado must see tv man oh yeah I'm guessing I mean what at tcu and home Nebraska I'm guessing one or both of those will be big noon kickoff or the the abc primetime game and it's you know what happens if Dion starts 0 two you know, like, what is the vibe in the locker room? Are we still seeing Snoop Dogg in the locker room? Are we still seeing the cameras and Dion doing his dancing, like, telling the players not to wear jewelry in the meeting room? Like, I'm just, I'm interested to see when adversity hits. Like, what does that look like? Because I don't believe, now, certainly there is adversity at Jackson state with the environment and the school, but like on the football field in the locker room, I don't know if they faced much adversity at Jackson state. They were significantly more talented than everyone they played. I mean, in 2021, they lost to UL Monroe 12 to seven, you know, I believe they lost four games his first year in 2021. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I've said my piece. I've said my piece on it.
1: Like I said, I, I think the whole goal with for Colorado is to make them nationally relevant again and they're that i'm really interested to see what they do these next couple weeks in the transfer portal how many guys he brings from jackson state um and also to see if what the ceiling is like for colorado with a guy like dion recruiting because i think that is ultimately the the biggest plus with dion i don't think he's this x's and o's like genius i think you know what he showed at Jackson State was he could recruit the hell out of everyone and he could bring in really good guys uh really good coordinators which I think he did with I think he knocked it out of the park with uh Sean Lewis getting him from Kent State um and you mentioned he might have Mike Zimmer which that was just a huge name drop I'm like I didn't I had no idea he was a defensive assistant at Jackson State and now he might be <laughs> the defensive team. last year he was coaching the freaking Minnesota Vikings. And now he might be the defensive coordinator at Colorado crazy world. I just,
0: um, but- I, I just would love to know how this is all coming together. I'd love to know the money that they're getting for these people. I mean, Sean Lewis, I get, you're probably not going to get a big 10 job anytime soon. Um, You know, with Wisconsin, Nebraska, filling up Michigan state, seemingly in place with Tucker, Illinois in place. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's, it seems like, this is a move of, hey, if I have a good first year or two at maybe the most high-profile school for next year, like Colorado is going to get so much media attention next year, mm-hmm. maybe I can lead that. I can, you know, uh, that can help me get a head coaching job somewhere because he's done a good job at Kent State. He just hasn't really got many looks. No, so
1: and uh, I think he was only making like four hundred grand as the head coach at Kent State. I'm sure he'll probably get double that being an offense coordinator, like you said, I think it right now, it's probably a smart move to to go on Dion's coattails too and see where that leads you. And, you know, if maybe if they are successful and Dion leaves for a different job, Hey, you got a potential oh, yeah. head coach candidate right there. too. Oh yeah. So
0: hundred percent. hundred percent. All right. Let's talk a little bit about um the transfer portal. Uh, For those that don't know the transfer portal, it, it used to be wide open. So any player could enter the portal at any time. And now the NCAA, uh, back over the last summer, instituted two transfer windows. So the first transfer window opened up on Monday, December 5th. Players have to enter their portal within a 45 day period, I believe, through like the middle of, of January. And then the other transfer portal window is after spring practice from like May 1st to May 15th, I think. Players just have to have their name submitted, they don't have to commit to a school during that time. But Lucas, you told me I think like thousands of kids flooded the portal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's we can't talk about all of them. We can't even talk about a fraction of them, but we can talk about the high-profile quarterbacks. Remember in August, we sat here and talked about how the ACC had some of the best quarterbacks in the country? Yep. Well, a lot of them are going to be moving on here. Uh, Devin Leary, NC State. DJ Ungalole from Clemson. Jeff Sims from Georgia Tech. Brennan Armstrong from Virginia. Or from, uh, yeah, from Virginia. And Kadan Slovis from Pitt. Drew Pine, as well, if you want to consider Notre Dame. Um, all in the portal. Here are some of the big name quarterbacks in the portal Devin Leary, DJ Unglalay, Hudson Card, Luke Altmaier, Jeff Sims, um, Austin Reed from Western Kentucky, Brennan Armstrong, Malik Hornsby from uh, Arkansas, uh, Drew Pine from Notre Dame, Grant Mertz from Wisconsin, Hank Bachmeyer from Georgia Tech, Haynes King, Blaine's favorite football player from Texas AM. Um, I have to hit the load more players sign. <laughs> uh, Jack Tuttle from Indiana. Lucas, your your thoughts kind of on the transfer portal, some of the intriguing quarterbacks kind of in the portal and, and uh, what you're looking at the next couple of weeks. I mean, it is
1: so funny because, I mean, it is free agency. It, it, today, or the last two days have just reminded me of, you know, when NBA free agency or Major League Baseball, like when all of those sports like open up, um however it you get double-sided with college football now because you have no idea what players are going to be in there it's not like you know oh well this guy's contract runs up at the end of this year we speculate and then you get the surprising names and i think it's exciting if you're a fan because you're like hey what if my team especially a quarterback what if we signed a devin leary who was arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the country this year and I think it's funny you mentioned the ACC. I think out of all the quarterbacks in the ACC, the one that we probably figured was going to transfer was Tyler Van Dyke at Miami. And it looks like he's staying put and all the other quarterbacks uh, did there too. But I think it's, it's, it's really cool. I mean, you can change the fortune of potentially your program, which used to take maybe two or three years. And now you get, we saw it with USC, obviously Caleb Williams, I think is an outlier the fact of someone that talented um, coming into the portal. But um, you no, know, I think it's, I think it's going to be fun where to see these guys go. And I think it's going to move pretty quick. I would assume most of these, uh, I believe the early signing day is, two weeks away on December 21st. I'm assuming if they're a quarterback, most of these guys want to be enrolled, uh, by January so that they can take play part in spring ball. Um, so it's going to be fun to see where the hell all of these guys go, um, and see if one, if they better themselves or as we've seen, sometimes some guys will get left out, um, just cause spots fill up. So, um, but I also do think like a guy like Austin Reed, this is where I do love the transfer portal because you have a guy, Austin Reed was probably overlooked. Everything like that in high school has an awesome year at Western Kentucky. And now is a golden chance to, to better himself potentially to play at a better school, get better looks for the NFL. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, we're obviously still not done loading on players, but it has been kind of a whirlwind the last couple of days, just seeing some of these names
0: that have, that have come through. It truly is a game of musical chairs. And I I find it so interesting to kind of look at this and, and schools are, I mean, so some of these schools, like a quarterback makes all the difference, right? I mean, you look at Bo Nix in Oregon, right? You look at Tommy DeVito in Illinois, right? And um, for these quarterbacks, you know, you have a chance to revitalize your career, right? Like Bo Nix did right? Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray. We have seen transfer quarterbacks. I'm not saying all these guys are going to be top picks, but we've seen transfer quarterbacks. Like you get the right fit and it's, it's a shot in the arm, Mm -hmm. right? I think, I think Bud Elliott on cover three said, it's like, it's like pouring like gasoline on your program and just like lighting the match and being like, boom, like let's go, you know, in a good way. I guess that maybe wasn't the best analogy in a good way. Um, I think, to me, I, I think the most – there are a couple of in really intriguing names, right? I think DJ Ungulale might be the most intriguing name. This is a guy that had a, an awesome freshman year in 2020. I mean, two games, but really good. Not a very good sophomore year. Questions heading into this year and ends up being benched in the ACC title game. What is DJ's interest? This was a guy who was the number two overall player in the class of 2020 behind I think CJ Stroud you know number two quarterback at least right behind behind CJ Stroud or or uh, uh, Bryce Young what is I mean what's his interest level I think a lot of people are talking about UCLA with him he's from Southern California potentially uh, Oregon if Bo Nix leaves Arizona State is going to be in the mix for all these guys I don't think they're at the level of getting a DJ Ungolole but again in that part of the country and I think if you're a transfer quarterback, you look at what Kenny Dillingham helped Bo Nix do at Oregon, I think it's pretty intriguing. Brennan Armstrong is another one that is intriguing. I mean, you want to talk about a guy whose stock just plummeted this year. I mean, Brennan Armstrong was one of the best quarterbacks in the country in 2021, remains loyal to UVA, comes back with a new coaching staff, and they had a bad offensive line, they have bad weapons, and he was really, really bad this year. What's his interest? I mean, is, is he a... Uh, um, a high level power five transfer? Is he potentially go to a Notre Dame? Does he potentially go to an Oregon? Does he go to a UCLA? Or is he more like, you know, I'll go to to Baylor or I'll go to Texas Tech or I'll go to, you know, whatever. Um I'm interested to see Brandon Armstrong as well. Uh there are a couple also high profile schools that need quarterbacks, right? I mean mm-hmm. Is Ohio State going to roll with what they have on the roster, or are they going to dip in the transfer market for a quarterback? Florida just lost Anthony Richardson. Um, there is, I, I was seeing on Twitter, some Sam Hartman to Florida buzz, apparently. Um, Dave Dave Klossin came out, and I was reading their 24-7 site, Wake Forest, and said, basically, Sam's going to play in our bowl game. We think he's going to explore the NFL. But there could be a big offer for him to return to college, and if he if he gets that offer, we're not going to stand in his way. Like he should take it. And people are have been speculating maybe Florida for Sam Hartman. Um, Notre Dame needs a quarterback as well. Uh, Ohio State needs a quarterback. Georgia will have an opening with Stetson Bennett exhausting his his eligibility. TCU uh, people assume Max Duggan will uh, move on. So I'm interested to see these major programs. I mean, Notre Dame will take one. I think Notre Dame probably gets their pick. They've been linked to Hudson Card. Um, They've been linked. um, You know, I don't know if Wisconsin is in the market for a transfer quarterback. Uh, Yes, yes. yes, Right? Yes.
1: yes. (laughs) We only have two. We have two scholarship quarterbacks right now with Graham Mertz. Well,
0: and, and, you know, that's one of the things that all these coaches are trying to fight is like, it's really hard to have multiple good quarterbacks on your roster because if you have one that is pretty good, they're going to leave. They're not going to stay mm-hmm. and be a backup for two or three years anymore. Um, what are your thoughts? Who are some targets you would have your eye on for uh, Wisconsin? Or is, there, or is there anyone linked? I, I know you've been doing some message board sleuthing. Uh, is there anyone linked to Wisconsin?
1: Not really. Um, for some reason, a bunch of people in the message boards were like so amped up for Cade McNamara, which. I was in Super and then he basically already within thirty seconds of being in the portal committed to Iowa. But I think one thing I wanted to, to kind of bring up before I get in the names is how many of these guys, like a Devin Leary, you mentioned Sam Hartman potentially, DJU, how many of these guys two, three years ago, just go just go to the NFL? Yeah. Instead of trying, obviously none of them would have to they would have had to have sat out a year a couple of years ago, but I think a guy like Devin Leary, even though he's coming off an injury, I think he could have probably gone this year. But I think yeah. you mentioned the nil uh, with nil. Some of these guys are like, hey, I can still make pretty damn good money and still improve my draft stock heading into next year. Especially with a guy like Leary, with um, you know, some people might cool on him due to his injuries, but um, but no, for for me, I, I haven't seen anything. They're going to take a, for Wisconsin, they're probably going to look at a, at a quarterback. Um, as I mentioned, Graham Mertz already in the portal. Um, uh, they already lost uh, Deacon Hill um, a couple months ago, uh, who was a, uh, their third string decided to leave. And like I said, they only have two scholarship guys on their roster. One of which yeah. is a fifth year senior who probably is not going to be back next year either. So, um, I'm assuming they're going to go with something. I think that was a big reason why Graham left. Um, was cause I think they told him they were going to try to bring in some competition um, for that position. Um, I would love, I would love Brennan Armstrong just because I loved him at at Virginia. But it, it might be a tough sell. One, they, won, they haven't named an offensive coordinator yet. And two, like this would Graham is the third straight quarterback. To transfer out of wisconsin um before using his eligibility it was him jack Cohn transferred to notre dame and then alex hornerbrook transferred out for his senior year to uh, florida state so i think um you know i think it might be a little bit of an issue for them to get a high profile quarterback especially with quarterbacks who are trying to improve their stock when we haven't had the greatest success developing quarterbacks i mean graham urs was one of the best quarterbacks in the country coming out of high school. And he has really underperformed since he's been there. So I don't know who they're specifically going to go at, but like we mentioned, there's plenty of, of good quarterbacks to choose from that. I, I'm hoping they get somebody. We'll see.
0: Yeah. I mean, someone's going to get somebody, right? I mean, I think Wisconsin does have a big enough brand, a big enough appeal. It depends. Like you're trying to get somebody like, I think the other dilemma that schools have is: Do we want to take a chance on a on a less known prospect, say like uh, Malik Hornsby from Arkansas mm-hmm. that has three or four years of eligibility left, or do we want to take a chance on a guy like Brett Gabbert from Miami Ohio, who's been a, who's been a, a a more experienced but at a lower level? I just saw that Kent State's quarterback has entered the transfer portal, mm-hmm. right? Their starting quarterback, right? And again, like this is this is one of it's one of the biggest decisions in college football now for these programs is what quarterback do we take you know mm-hmm. illinois last year took tommy devito very early and people criticized that they're like man maybe you know could you have waited for a bo nicks because you have waited for somebody and turns out they made the right call and it, mm-hmm. it turned uh maybe a five and seven six and six season into an eight and four season right so it's interesting um i have a love hate relationship with with the with the portal i i, I think overall we hear about the successes of the portal you hear about your Kenneth Walkers. you hear about your Joe Burrows your Kyler's right but we don't hear about the players that just kind of sit in the portal for years or months and 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 give up their give up their time at a school and they're not happy with their playing time and they 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 see the shiny object at some other school and maybe I'll go play there and they're in the portal for months years I mean I, I 24/7 does a good job on some of the statistics of like, about 25 percent of these power five transfers are going to land at another power five school mm-hmm. i think another 25 percent maybe drop down to the group of five level and like half of these kids that are transferring from these power five schools have to drop down to fcs or lower and no offense to those schools it's just a different lifestyle man it's a different different you know your amenities your travel your what kind of swag you get your weight room your fan support it's just different and I can't even imagine what it's like to be a college coach now to have to re-recruit your entire roster. And then you throw in some of these high level players that are like, Hey coach, like I want to stay, but you know, X school is offering me like 150 grand to go to their school. And you're, you know, a max school or you're a lower tier power five school. You're like, well, we can offer you like $3,000 and some coupons, (laughs) you know, like it's, it's, it's the part of the sport that, I think we hate, I mean, we, we just, the Saturdays in the fall are so good, but how you build your roster now is more difficult than ever.
1: Yeah. And like we mentioned too, it, it's the fact that none of these players are, are tied to anything. Cause you mentioned it's like free agency, but you in free agency when you sign a guy to a contract, unless you release them, that guy's got to stay there for the, for the whole duration of it. And um, no, so they, I completely agree with you in the fact that, and that's why I think you see, you're going to see a slew and we have seen a slew of like older coaches start to retire. We saw it in basketball with with coach K and Roy Williams, because um, you know, it's just hard to uh, to really build your roster. And you know, I was watching uh, when Jim Leonard was still that the interim at Wisconsin, he was talking about how um, you know, for senior day, they had a couple guys who, you know, took him three, four years to crack the the starting roster and how he says he, he hopes that we don't see that die out that guys don't, uh, that stick to a commitment push through adversity and are still able to better themselves and still play. Um, you hope that that doesn't go away, but, you know, we're largely seeing with some of these guys, like they don't play within one or two years, they're gone. Um, even if there's a chance that they may play uh, or might be on the too deep or anything like that. I, and I, I, and I hate the tampering part of it. When we, you know, we mentioned that Sam Hartman hasn't even been in the portal and apparently he's already rumored to have all these offers from all these schools. Um, like to me, like, I, I don't know how you enforce it, but that to me is the part, if you could get rid of the tampering or at least dumb it down, Um, I think that would go a long way, but I can't imagine, like you mentioned, like if you're Wake Forest, like you have the smallest enrollment in college football, you've done everything right to build a great roster and a good program. And yet Florida's just going to come in and nab your quarterback, who it's not like he's not playing. Like he's been your starter for the last three years. You've stuck with him uh, and developed him really, really well. But it's just like, yeah, I'm just going to – and maybe we just get over that fact. And it's just like, hey, it's just college football. The best teams are just going to carry on like that. Um, so that that to me is the, the tampering is just kind of out of control. I mean, Braylon Allen for Wisconsin, apparently a couple months ago, had to quell rumors that he was getting courted by USC in Michigan and hadn't even entered the the transfer portal either. Um, and like Jordan Addison, like last year too, um, being tampered with, with USC. I think that's the part that there needs to be some type of of regulation and everything, but it's the NCAA. So we're probably not going to see anything. So I guess it's just something you're just going to have to get used to. And if you have a good culture and everything like that, I think you're okay, but it it is really, really tough. And that's why I think you're going to see recruiting, recruiting uh, staffs get even larger so that you can take some of this off of a head coach's plate.
0: Yeah. Anything else you want to uh, touch on here before we uh, before we say goodnight?
1: night? Uh, let me see. Has any, any, any more players transferred out of Texas A&M since we've been
0: talking? <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> the other fascinating thing about this real quick is that, you know, with, with NIL, like these players that sign NIL deals, they don't sign them with the school. They no. sign them with the collective. And there's nothing, as far as I understand, there's nothing holding these players to stay at this school. Like, there's nothing to say like you can't take a hundred fifty grand from a from a collective, go to a And blows up in year one, and you're like, yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm I'm out. You know, peace. And I just wonder, are collectives and fan bases like if you're Florida, right? And or or, or like if you're the Miami billionaire financing this team. And Mario Cristobal says, yeah, we need about $10 million for this recruiting class. Okay. You went five and seven and played a dismal brand of football for like, is this worth it for you? Like, what are you getting out of this? I mean, I don't know if it's a tax write-off. I don't know how much of this is tax
1: deductible. I think think they're usually all tax deductible. um, I guess
0: if it's all, I I don't, I, if it's all tax deductible, why not? I guess. But like, I mean, you're, I mean, think about being a high profile A&M booster and, You win signing day. You sign the number one class. Yay. We're going to win a national championship, right? Oh, wait. We went five and seven and lost to Appalachian State, you know, and like lost to all these other teams in the SEC West that we should be ahead of. We saw Brian Kelly win the SEC West in year one at LSU. So I just wonder these boosters, these collectives, is is this a long-term thing? Now, what I think eventually will happen is these conferences and the NCAA will just say, we're going to pay the players. Like I yeah. think, I think if you're on a Big Ten team, maybe you earn a hundred thousand dollars every season. Or I don't know, something like that. But I just don't. I don't know how this is sustainable when there are no binding contracts to keep these kids at these schools. And are you really sh- like, are you really sure you're getting your bang for your buck if you're a school like my I mean, Florida went six and six. Like, yeah. You know, and I guess they'll recruit better than they went under Dan Mullen. But like, let's not pretend like they were an improved football team. Oh, and they just lost their starting quarterback.
1: <laughs> no, it's, uh, I think that's a good point, especially the return on investment. It's not like, it's not like when you, you you put a pool together and you invest money in real estate or something like that, where, you know, the value of your investment goes up. This is just you just giving money. And, um no, it's uh, the A&M thing, but the, but the thing is that's not going to, the thing that's going to help promote this is if you're not doing it, everybody else is. So the fear of missing out is just going to fuel all of this altogether. But yeah, I mean, I just looked at A&M's thing. They have like 20 guys in the portal right now. Um, yeah. They had another 10 that declared that they were transferring today. How how much money are those guys playing? We We always talk about like, baseball teams and football teams, when they basically say they're going to pay a a guy they got rid of to not play for them, they'd rather pay for them not to play. It's going to be the same thing in college football. How much money is out the door from your boosters on guys that are no longer playing for you? And probably are going to end up transferring to teams that you're going to be playing on a regular basis. Um, I don't know if it's going to return or regress to some type of market and kind of equal itself out. I don't think it's going to because we've just seen things accelerate more and more with money here in college football. But yeah, I've, I've been hesitant. I can donate to the Wisconsin's varsity collective. I've been hesitant for this exact reason. It's just like, I have no idea where that the hell that money's going. And if it's being spent wisely at all, kind of like sending money to the government in a way.
0: Oh yeah. But like, again, even if you could, even if you could be told, yeah, your money's going to sign this four-star recruit out of Chicago does that contribute to winning yeah i mean how many five stars do you have to have on your team to realize maybe i shouldn't punt from my opponent's 38 yard line when it's fourth and 3 you know what i'm saying like 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 i get that you have to have good players to win championships but when you see teams like tcu and cincinnati and kansas state and utah culture programs like have oklahoma state prior to this year Have all of this success? Like, are we sure that it's worth it to like sign these top one hundred kids only for them every single year to demand more money from your program, or they're going to go sign with Miami or Texas A and M or something? Like, I, I just don't know if it's the right path to even have success. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I think the the biggest problem is we haven't seen it's NIL. I mean, remember NIL only started about a year ago. We haven't the data that show if it's worth it or not, we're still figuring that out. And right. we might not know of like a team that was clearly built on NIL and them having success. We might not know that for another four or five years yet. Like, you know, if AM all of a sudden turns it around next year and we see that recruiting class from last year and this year, you know, start to come fruition, they make a playoff. We can probably say, okay, it was probably worth it. But right now we, we have no idea. I think maybe in five or six years when you see all this money getting thrown around and it's still the same teams year after year that are still the top of the sport, which I expect it to be, um, maybe we get some pullback. But I think it's just we just have no idea what this end result is. Um, we just know that, you know, I think like a lot of things, we just feel like if we can just throw more money at a problem, eventually yeah. it'll be solved. But we have no idea if that if the solution Uh, is going to be there or not.
0: That's a good point. It's a really good point. All right, let's wrap it up there. Um, Good show tonight. We'll be back next week. Maybe uh, next week we'll have some bowl games to talk about, including the Fenway Bowl. I can't wait for our our in-depth preview of the Fenway Bowl between Cincinnati and Louisville.
1: Kind of on that note, watching these bowl games, man, I made a a pact. I am not betting on bowl games this season. Well, just look at the transfer portal. For God's oh, sakes, yeah. like, I have no idea who the hell's playing. I have no idea for some of these who is coaching. I mean, just. Who's like, opting out, right? Who's opting who's, out. Who's opted out? Like, I have, I have no idea. I mean, just in my personal view, like, with Wisconsin, they're playing Oklahoma State. Neither starting quarterback's playing. Oklahoma State's leading rusher just opted out. I have no idea who the hell is coaching us in that game. Like it's just, <laughs> these things are such a total crap shoot. Um, so the only ones I'll probably bet on all year are the actual playoff games. Cause I know players are going to play and coaches are going to coach in it.
0: The future of bowl games. And this is probably an off season discussion, but the future of bowl games is going to be fascinating because as players seemingly care and care less, And fans. I mean, I I don't know. I'm I'm guessing Wisconsin will will send a ton of people out to Phoenix for for their bowl game. I just it's becoming very clearly the players just don't give a shit about them. And how do we incentivize it? Is it money to the winning team? Is it, you know, I don't I don't know. Because you're right. This is it's a mess, man. Like and it's not a good product, right? Like these bowl games, they sure they cost a lot of money to put on. You have a team coming in, and, like, like as a Wisconsin fan, are you going to come and watch your, your third-string quarterback take on Oklahoma State's second-string quarterback?
1: Oh, hell yeah, I'm going to. But that's <laughs> a <laughs> <so, laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Hey, the games um, in Phoenix, buddy. You got a spot on my guest. The games in
1: Phoenix, to... it's on a freaking Tuesday night at 9.15 Central Time. Uh, luckily, I have off work that whole week, so I will be up probably watching cheering like hell for us to beat a freaking seven and five Oklahoma state team and think it's going to give us some great momentum going into next year. when (laughs) The roster is going to look completely different, but no, I'm still going to watch, but no, I, I completely agree with your point. It's not a great product. You're like you mentioned, they, these things cost a lot of money. My, my fear, this is my biggest fear is like, this is going to be the criticism. Um, when they go to, when they go to 12 teams for the playoff, Right now the, the idea is to have those first round games on campus, which is what I hope they do. And I hope they keep Yeah. But my biggest fear is after, when they re-sign the new contract in 26, they're going to come, uh, the bulls are going to like beg to the committee and everything like that, saying we need help. Uh, we're running in the, in the red and then the committee's gonna be like, you know what, it was too much work to put these at, um, on college sites. We're going to put these at bowl sites. They're much better equipped, everything like that. That's my, so, my fear. That that's I, hope,
0: I hope they go the opposite route. I hope they put the second-round games, the quarterfinals, on the top-four seed home sites. Yeah, I think it's kind of jacked that like the top-four seeds get a buy and then don't get a home playoff game, and you're <laughs> making their fans. I mean, think if, like, let's say Wisconsin, Luke Fickle, just turns Wisconsin into an absolute behemoth. And Wisconsin plays in the Big Ten championship game on December 3rd. And then their their first-round playoff game is in Atlanta at the Peach Bowl two weeks later, right, or three weeks later. Then their against semifinal like Georgia,
1: game is in like yeah, Georgia. Then,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then their semifinal game because they blow the doors off of Georgia because, again, Luke Fickles just created a monster down there. Their second-round game is in the Fiesta Bowl. Or their 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 semifinal games, the Fiesta Bowl in Glendale. Then the final is in like Indianapolis or Atl- or you know uh, Dallas or whatever. Think of how expensive it is to go to these games. You know, they're Who is traveling crazy. to they're four crazy. neutral site games as yeah. a as a as a Clemson or a Georgia or a Ohio State fan? That is insane to me. I yeah. think it's wild that the top four seeds don't get a home game either. I, I think hey, it would be great to have
1: that. They got a. Those freaking uh, bowl committees, man! They got to appease the bowl God committees. Me, we almost, we don't, this thing almost didn't happen. I know we're getting on a tangent, but I, this, it's the freaking Rose Bowl, bowl freaking Rose Bowl, because they could not move it a day. However, this is why it's so just such a big crock of shit. Sorry for cussing. Let's um, go. But the Rose Bowl complains that they have to be on New Year's Day. However. Like, once every, like, freaking f- four or five years, they play on January 2nd because they don't want to compete with the NFL on Sundays. So, but yet, it's blasphemy that we could move the Rose Bowl to any other day. I'm sure the sunset is still beautiful at 4.30 on uh, December 28th, as it is on January 1st.
0: Or January 3rd.
1: On January 3rd. I, it's just... It just boggles my mind why we love these. I and Look, I love it. I love the Rose Bowl. I haven't been out to a game yet. I want to. If it were up to me, all the national title game, like the national championship would be played at the Rose Bowl every year. But, my God, like it just – that's the one thing about they're all corporatized, whatever. it It takes away the best part of college football, which is like the home environments and the stuff that we truly love. But <laughs> – that's my, that's my Ted talk. That was my, uh, we both got one in on this pod. Love this it.
0: Week. Absolutely love it. All right. I'm over here choking here. I'm about to, I'm about to pass out here, <laughs> uh, for Lucas Rode. I'm Ryan Bath. Lucas. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you guys next week for another episode of running for the roses. Have a good night. Stay frosted.